to my Collaborative Teams Collaborate Live series. It's a 10 or 15 minute video conversation on Facebook and YouTube taking place every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Collaborate Live provides digestible, pardon the pun, content to both professionals and the public on a variety of topics relating to the collaborative process. Our Collaborate, our Collaborate Live episodes consist of a variety of topics driven by our followers and our members. Topics range from ethical considerations, best practices, problem solving, marketing, specialized topics relating to collaborative practice, practice tools, and more. Whether you join us live or watch on your own free time, you can count on our weekly Collaborate Lives to provide you with thought-provoking conversation and educational information about the collaborative process. Our guest today is Dr. Jeremy Gaines, is a licensed psychologist and certified family mediator who's practiced in the Tampa, Florida area for over three decades. Dr. Gaines devotes his practice to peacemaking for families. He's a board member with Tampa Bay Academy of Collaborative Professionals and has served in various roles for the Florida Academy of Collaborative Professionals, FACP, and the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals, IACP. Dr. Gaze is a founder and trainer with Tampa Bay Collaborative Trainers and provides collaborative trainings in the United States and abroad. Dr. Gaze is also the author of A Clear and Easy Guide to Collaborative Divorce, published in 2018, and co-author of Mindful Co-Parenting, A Child-Friendly Path Through Divorce, published in 2014. Welcome. So happy to have you here today. Thanks, Jerry. I'm glad to be here with you. And and by way of full disclosure, um, and for my first question, I recently took your uh, Tampa Bay training, uh, introductory training, as a representative of my collaborative team, and I found it to be fabulous. And so I have a couple of, uh, I also want to offer you a compliment. One of the members, one of the attendees at our uh, happy hour a uh, faculty member who teaches collaborative practice at a law school also took your training, the last training, and had rave reviews about it. And so what I'd like to ask you about is a couple of things. How has the content of training changed over time, number one? And number two, how has doing the training over COVID changed you as a trainer over time? Okay, great questions. First of all, thanks for the kind words. Uh, we really appreciate that. We love the folks that we work with and uh, we try really hard to meet their needs, to give them the best training we can to make it a really positive experience. So we're really happy to get uh, that good feedback. I think there are two ways in which the content has changed over time. Um, first and foremost, uh, the four trainers of uh, Tampa Bay Collaborative Trainers are all very dedicated collaborative professionals. And so we're constantly looking for new ways to do collaborative work that's more effective, that's more efficient. And with every passing year, we become uh, hopefully more masterful at what we do. So over time, uh, the training changes because we simply learn more ourselves and are able to uh, therefore add more to the training. So after every training we do, we've done many, many trainings together, we always sit down and we fine tune, uh, sometimes overhaul, sometimes tweak, but we always make the training um, more robust and more current. The other way in which it's changed is that uh, because we're now doing it virtually and we're trying to teach people how to do collaborative work virtually, 
Um, we've added many components that are specific to how to do a virtual collaborative case. So those are the two main changes in, in terms of content. In terms of the changes that have come over the course of the pandemic, the biggest change is that we do all of our trainings right now virtually. And in the beginning, um, I wasn't sure how well that would work, how much of a compromise it would be over live trainings. But Jerry, I have to tell you, uh, to my surprise and great pleasure, the virtual trainings have been, I think, just as effective as the live trainings. You sacrifice some of that uh, experience of being in the same physical space, but everyone gains a lot in terms of uh, efficiency and convenience. And we also have the benefit of working with people all over the country. So our last collaborative training actually had uh, participants from 12 different states, which really adds some diversity uh, to the group and I think makes the training that much better. So, so getting back to the live versus virtual training, at the last training, one of the um, one of the presenters who shall remain unnamed, and it wasn't you, bemoaned because I asked that question then about how it's different. Bemoaned the uh, absence of being able to just interact on a break um, with the trainees, or the trainees being able to come up and ask either a private question or a, a practice question, um, or just chat. How have you accommodated for that social networking uh, component of the training in the virtual world? Well, and I'm not sure uh, which trainer it was, but if it was Adam Cordover, then he was one. I am not saying names, as, but... <laughs> as he usually is. Um, and, um, no, but he, he, he's right. You, you, do, you do lose some of the spontaneity, spontaneity that comes with um, going to get a snack at the break and then having a chat with someone here and a chat with someone there. However, we have created uh, opportunities for that to happen even so. Um, so, for example, uh, we always um, join uh, the, the meeting by video well in advance of the start time. So folks come on early and we chat, they can ask questions, they can ask um, uh, about specific matters that relate to their state or to their practice pattern or their, their own uh, personal experiences. Um, we also, uh, when we take breaks, if anybody wants to speak with us during that time, we're available to do that. We also can do private chat using the, the chat feature of Zoom. So uh, people often do actually ask specific questions of one of us or another. And then we can respond directly to them or we can suggest they bring it up to the full group if they're willing to. So there are a lot of ways to do it even in the course of the training. But then beyond that, one of the things that I think we've prided ourselves on is our accessibility to the attendees throughout the course of the training and beyond the training. So everybody has our email addresses, they have our phone numbers. Anybody who comes to one of our trainings, if they have questions, uh, they have uh, thoughts they wanna share, they can contact any of the four of us anytime uh, for eternity. And we're always happy to speak <laughs> with them because they become a, really a part of our extended family, of our professional family. So um, just as an example, um, we have one participant who uh, had attended our training, um, who actually is out in Utah. And um, she has gone on to uh, do several collaborative cases since the training. Um, and um, she has served as the volunteer note taker on a collaborative case that I've been involved in uh, over the last several months. So I have a chance to interact with her. We have a chance to talk a little bit about the development of her practice. 
So we do try to stay connected with our attendees. So those are the ways in which we try to make up for the fact that we're not there live and in the flesh. You know, you, you just hit upon something that I think is um, two things. One is uh, the, tr the very first of the virtual trainings that my collaborative team uh, sponsored with uh, Tampa Bay um, was a particular schedule. But I note now that you've changed your schedule. Can you tell us about the schedule as it is and why you made that change? Sure. The way we uh, schedule now is that we do the training over the course of two and a half weeks. And we do a Tuesday, a Thursday, another Tuesday, a Thursday, and one more Tuesday. So we go on Tuesdays and Thursdays from, um, well, it depends on your time zone since we're working with people across the country. But Eastern time zone, where we are, it's from 3 o'clock until 6.15 on each of those days. Obviously, as you go across the country and you get to California, it becomes uh, 12 o'clock until 3.15. Uh, but the reason we do that is that it allows people to um, have time during the day to accomplish their work tasks and then to attend the training. Obviously, people on the West Coast then can go back to work. People on the East Coast usually finish the day with the training. But because it's two days uh, each week over the course of two weeks and one day the third week, it allows people to really stay focused on this training without losing too much. If you do one training every week for five weeks, you know, there's a lot you can lose in between. There's a certain momentum you want to keep. So it allows us to do that, but it also allows people to uh, go on with their work lives and their personal lives because they're only uh, really investing that um, six and a half hours a week. Obviously, there's some homework assignments and, and uh, people like to do some reading in advance but they're only committed to blocks of six and a half hours. And most people find they can work that into their schedule. And yet again, you keep that momentum so that, um, you know, it doesn't drag out. So I was on a conference earlier um, with a group of collaborative professionals in the northwest part of our state, Florida. Um, and this is what we would call a struggling or an emerging practice group. Um, and there were some very seasoned professionals there. And what they were talking about was the way I was trained, all right? Mm. And, and these folks were trained, um, let me just say, um, a decade ago, I guess that would be fair. Sure. Right? So how has, in your view, the train, and, and one can tell about how they practice, and so some ideas were given up by some more newly trained people, and the uh, more uh, older trained people kind of went, really, you can do that? Um, right. So how has collaborative practice and, and particularly the training changed that, that the younger folks seem to have uh, um, more opportunity to be creative? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great, uh, great question, great point. Um, you know, I was originally trained uh, a little over 10 years ago. And of course, um, I've been to many, many uh, introductory trainings since then, including all of our uh, introductory trainings, which are many, and I've been able to watch the evolution of, um, of the training process and the content itself. So if I go back to when I was originally trained uh, back in 2010, uh, the basics were there, the principles of collaborative practice, but it was a much more uh, kind of one-size-fits-all approach. And we've learned over time uh, that uh, there are really no rules beyond the core rules. Uh, 
meaning that you can think outside the box, you can practice outside the box, you can be amazingly creative. There, it's really not a question of here's what you must do. It's more that here are the things you have to include, but beyond that, you can do whatever works. So you absolutely have to maintain the integrity of the process. And that's a big part of my job as uh, the facilitator or the neutral coach. Um, I have to make sure we stay within the guidelines of the core principles. But beyond that, we can be as creative as need be. And I think we've really all learned in the collaborative world that that is one of the greatest strengths of the collaborative process is that we can do things that maybe we hadn't even thought of before, but for this family, it will work and it will help them get to a peaceful resolution. And that's what it's all about. And I think if I may, having had this conversation just earlier today, th that the younger folks who are practicing seem to have that in mind. Um, whereas the older folks in, in my observation have a particular way and you better not like the whole idea, for instance, of having, um, everybody come to the first meeting and sign the participation agreement. Right. Um, somebody, I think it was Brian Galbraith did a presentation talked about using DocuSign and yep. email to get the participation agreement so that when everybody came to the first meeting, they could get down to business. And when we discussed this earlier, one of the older folks said, you can use that. Okay. So uh, I, I do want to offer a compliment as well. One of the things about your training, as opposed to the few live trainings that I've been to, is the remarkable use of uh, what I'll call creative um, educational devices, um, the videos um, that demonstrate um, the points that you're trying to get across. So that alone, to me, and I, I think the same thing from uh, Mark Soblowski, who is up in Connecticut, who's been doing this for 30 years, said, wow, you know, never thought of doing it that way. That was really creative. So yeah. my compliments to you. And what I'd like to be able to do, I'm going to give you this invitation now. You talked about um, the collaborative coach or the facilitator. Um, since we've been having contact with folks in other states, they even have child specialists along with the facilitator. So maybe we can have another collaborate to talk about the emerging roles of the uh, mental health professional and what hats he or she might wear uh, for another collaborate uh, lunch. I do want to thank you for your time. Um, you're pleasure. always a delight to chat with. Your smile is infectious and your training was fabulous. So thank you, see you soon. Thanks so much. Thank you.